1: Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. Right now, it is um, Kevin Bowen, the morning show, Kevin and Quarry, weekday morning, 7 until 10 a.m. right here on The Fan. I'll be honest with you, and I know a lot of people want to make light about, you know, all it is is a press conference and all there is just talking. All right. To all the numb nuts that say that out there, we, okay, they don't play until Sunday. So we know that. We can't put a true gauge on what this is going to look like until Sunday. But there is something to be said about what is said during a press conference and how you hit all the right notes during that, your initial press conference in that first practice, and I thought Jeff Saturday did, if nothing else, that today.
2: Yeah, and that's the vibe, John, I got from talking to guys in the locker room about the first team meeting, which I think is kind of another step to what you're talking about. This is a vastly different personality, personality, energy level um, leader, frankly, than Frank Reich. I think a lot of qualities that Frank Reich possessed that were really, really strong, I don't think you would have called him some super outgoing, energy, passionate leader. I I just don't think that's how he's wired. Jeff Saturday's wired that way. Um, He's always been. Part of it is probably, you know, just from that offensive line background. He said it before, you know, I'm a screamer. I'm a little bit of a louder voice just in general. And I think a question, anytime you see a team start to go down, the path the Colts were going down, and a guy's been at the helm for the amount of time that Frank Reich's been the head coach, five years, you think to yourself, is that message getting stale? Are players no longer reacting in the same way that maybe they once were? And if you look at the results, there's a lot to point to that could say that's true. I mean, you got off to awful starts this season. You continually get off to awful starts two seasons in general. Um, And then this year the big change from previous right teams is you've been really poor out of the gate of games. There's no urgency whatsoever, no matter what was at stake, divisional games, road games, um, slow starts all over. Um, So yes, for Wednesday afternoon, this is what we have to go off of. Obviously who knows if it'll matter uh, because I don't think the product on the field is giving you much reason for hope this season, but without question, it is a much different type of leader I thought a word that was interesting um, out of the locker room today, I'm trying to think who it was, O'Karake maybe. Um, maybe it was Ellinger, actually. Sam Ellinger used the word. He was very transparent, Jeff Saturday, talking to the team. Um, I think he's been pretty honest with them of like, guys, I know how this looks. And I can fully acknowledge that I was just as stunned as you were when Jim Merce called me. But I'm going to try and do everything I can to – um, you know, whatever, be the leader that, that you guys need. And, and hopefully it'll lead to results. I think it's really important for Saturday to kind of lay that out there. Cause guys will see through any sort of fakeness. Um, and, and I think Saturday, again, on a Wednesday for his first team meeting, he was able to do
1: that. Yeah, and you had to hit the right note with that. I mean, you, you just did. And then, then we will properly and fairly gauge how this product looks in Vegas coming up on Sunday and move along. And I will say this, uh, because this team has been incredibly boring and very disappointing, the off-the-field stuff has certainly led to a level of entertainment value that the on-the-field product has not been providing at all.
2: <laughs> that, is, uh, that is 100% true. Tonight's the uh, 2022 Hard Knocks debut, if I'm not mistaken. So, uh, Are sure they on HBO it again?
1: Would've... Man, HBO's going to be kicking their own ass for not having them this year.
2: Yeah, I think it's Arizona Cardinals. Is that
1: right? Um, So, yeah, a little. They they could have have caught Jim Irsay with a 10 in the morning phone call to Frank Reich firing him and all that stuff. Right.
2: Or, yeah, or if you would have had a camera in the Foxborough press box on Sunday, I guess you could have got, or in the uh, owner's (laughs) box, you could have got got... Jim Irsay calling Jeff Saturday. Ellinger just got (laughs) sacked again. What are you seeing here? (laughs) I'll call you later about the head coaching job.
1: (laughs) Oh, that is um, that is so good right there,
2: John. I my I've always found this interesting because I don't think my mom usually like qualifies as this sort of person, but my mom and I think still is obsessed with like soap operas, uh, Days of Our Lives, As the World Turns. Oh, yeah, that was as, a Days of Our yeah.
1: Lives guy back in the day. I had a huge crush on Hope. I always hoped that somehow her rack would fall. That never did, though. It always stayed in there. <laughs> It's <laughs> yeah, shocking that NBC wouldn't allow <laughs> no, so that to happen. Come but on. I was just, I was, It see, that's like it's so easy to get that now, but back then, that's all just the, you know, the the occasional cleave is all we really had to hang our hat on with our four channels. You don't know how inspirationally lucky you guys are to have grown up yeah. when you did.
3: Yeah. Yeah, very grateful to be a
1: millennial. A smidge of cleave, man. A smidge of cleave. And I was satisfied back in the day. <laughs>
2: Uh, But I bring that up because, I mean, right now the Colts are a soap opera. Uh, Mm. They're a soap opera, and the owner is a huge, huge reason why, to be perfectly honest with you. So it's wild to think back of the four significant moves you've made. And, and, yeah, obviously the four of them have different levels of significance. But just think back on this last month. Um, You know, you, I guess in order, you benched Matt Ryan for a guy that's never thrown a pass in the NFL and Sam Ellinger. You fired Marcus Brady, and the interim is a guy in Parks Frazier, who I actually, we can get into this, I actually am somewhat intrigued by it, but Parks Frazier has never been a position coach in college for the NFL. Um, you traded Naheem Hines. The replacement, Jordan Wilkins, hasn't hadn't carried the ball before Sunday in 23 months. And then the last of those four moves, obviously, is the firing of Frank Reich, and You know, I was waiting for Josh McDaniels in his press conference today to be like, yeah, we're watching some Hebron Christian Academy film to try to get an idea of what we're going to see on Sunday. And, you know, the wing T looks pretty good. I mean, Jeff Saturday's never coached at the college or NFL level. So um, I understand why why people out there look at it and and think this qualifies as a tank, even though Jim Irsay, you know, felt the need last night to you know be pretty demonstrative in saying that this is not bad.
1: All right, so will there be more... More flags thrown with 12 men on the field or delay of game?
2: Yeah, I think probably the delay part. Um, you know, one of the interesting things I think with Park Frazier, and, you know, I, I feel like there are whispers out there. I want to say Mike, Mike Chapel reported it to Scott Milanovic, the quarterback's coach, actually got offered the play calling job and denied it or told Jeff Saturday that he did not want to do it. Maybe there are some stipulations with that. But, um, You know, defensively, you know, you're obviously keeping the same operation with Gus Bradley, and rightfully so. Um, But you will, I I would think, we'll talk to Parks Frazier tomorrow, so we'll see if he's going to be in the booth, you know, Reich was on the field, or or if he's going to be on the field. Um, Yeah, I'm pretty sure Parks is on the field normally during games, so maybe he'll want to still be down there. Um, But I am certainly interested to see from a, you know, 40-second play clock standpoint, you know, how that operation unfolds. Uh, Jeff Saturday made it seem like today he's not going to be one that will be very active and going for a lot of fourth down situations. You know, he pretty much was saying that I'm an offensive lineman. We work too hard to get points. We get in those situations, I'm going to take the points. That's very different, obviously, than the aggressive mindset that Frank Reich has had. So, um, you know, that's the part we haven't talked a lot about this week, but I'm very, very interested to see how – mainly the offensive operation is going to go, and then when they do, or I should say if, certainly last week they were not in many of them in the second half, if and when they get into those game situations, whether to go for it, whether to you know punt, going for two, things like that, how does Jeff Saturday handle all that?
1: Are you older than Parks Frazier?
2: I am older than Parks Frazier. I am. Parks is 30, I believe, and I just turned 33. You know, Parks Frazier, who he's married to,
1: oh uh yeah it uh it, it, help me out though yes i do yeah,
2: carol well maiden name is yeah Sarah, yeah caroline um, yeah
1: who was here with the colts years ago
2: yes the old the the lara overton before lara yes exactly um, so yeah yeah she left indy and went to the panthers uh and they got some ties in that area and um yeah parks is you know i again i, I i'm good with it you know it, it, in a way john and this is insanely lofty but when you think about what the nfl is is just trying to find in every single building every owner right now wants the young hot offensive mind who can we find that's the next sean mcveigh that's what every owner is seeking out and if you're Jeff saturday and you're evaluating your coaching staff there has to be an element of like all right this dude has been with Frank Reich the longest of anybody on staff. He came in with Reich in 2018. Um, when the Colts had a Zoom with Matt Ryan back in March to kind of court Matt Ryan, it was Chris Ballard, Frank Reich, Marcus Brady, and then the fourth person on that Zoom was Parks Frazier because he has great offensive intel. Um, and then I think he's got a pretty good relationship with Sam Ellinger. I mean, he's the one that taught Ellinger the offense when Ellinger was drafted last last April. Um, and if you are able to see something, and again, the offensive product, We all have seen it unfold. It's been awful. So I'm not acting like we should expect success. But if you see some things you like in what he's doing and you know the quarterback decision that is awaiting come April next year, if you can have some sort of pairing of, you know, a young quarterback and a young coach, that obviously would be a more than ideal situation. The odds of this happening are probably very slim. But I think you're out of state in this season – to where I understand this thinking again, I don't. It doesn't sound like it was the first choice, but you know, maybe you will. Have, you know, fallen
3: into something
1: here. And again, being what thirty, he's probably been big into med in the past, so he may go for it on every fourth down. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, he certainly has. He's like, yep, I'm not I'm not putting fourth and eight for my own twenty seven. Yeah, we're not putting here but
1: like it. Kevin Wilson offense. You just Go for it for my own twenty five. So yeah.
2: Yeah. I'm ready. Yeah, exactly. Now so. again, Saturday did sound like a guy that's not gonna be uh too aggressive when those situations arise and you know I think another element of it is it does keep all the other position coaches in their you know, normal game day duties. You know, Scotty Montgomery handled the running back substitutions. Reggie Wayne, you know, handled wide receiver personnel. Um, One thing that I felt like coaching-wise that I think it's worth pointing out, I was curious, and I asked Jeff this today, I was like, any other staff changes? I mean, the Colts don't have Marcus Brady, don't have Frank Reich. They have two openings on their staff. I guess Saturday took one of them. But, you know, they could go out and make some sort of outside hire. Oh, I like it. I like it.
1: I may apply. What what do you think's needed yeah, here? Sure. I may apply.
2: Well, I, I was kind of curious about that, and then Jeff kind of offered up, you know, well, we're not going to do anything, and I and I was like, are you, are you? Will you be working a little bit more directly with the offensive line? He said, no. You know, I've already kind of been working with Strauss and Chris Strasser uh, from afar, from a consulting role, and I'm thinking, oh boy, well, that's probably not the most ringing endorsement right now to think that Jeff Saturday's had some consulting on the offensive line and. We've seen how that product has unfolded
1: here this season. Hey, Kev, man, if they were to hire me, I'm putting Quentin Nelson at left tackle immediately. Yeah, you would be yeah. all about that, wouldn't you, Be Oh, well, yeah, that'd be the first thing. What the hell? You might as well now. Do it. I'm just I'm halfway serious, have, halfway joking. This is when Nelson had that experiment there. Good news for
2: the O-line this week, though. The rate, right, Well, Max Crosby and Chandler Jones are two pretty good rushers, but I, I want to say they're dead last in the NFL in sacks, but – um, I, that's the other thing, John. I think I'm interested in Sunday. Of like, we already heard Saturday, you know, Sam Ellinger's going to start. Bernard Ryman's going to be at left tackle. It, it's shocking to me that I'm talking to you on November, whatever it is, 8th, and the four names I mentioned earlier of no Marcus Brady, no Frank Reich, no Matt Ryan, no Naeem Hines, and yet Chris Strasser and Matt Pryor still have held on to their jobs. So, do you bench Matt Pryor? Like, is this something that will be permanent now after he got benched in the game? I am curious to see if we see any other movement along that offensive line.
1: Well, and and along those lines, I would also just put him at left guard and at center at some point and see if he can get benched from every position along the line this year. (laughs) Because there's going to be some award for that. And we'll give that award to to Chris Ballard for believing that he should be out there in any capacity. mm Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, I could send his cleats to Canton one day if he's able to There's accomplish eight. that feat. Yeah, and I, you and I, I think, have had this conversation before, but of all the positional debates that we've had about Ballard and his approach, the one that confuses me the most is left tackle because that is the one that Ballard talks about meaning so much to him is O-line, O-line, O-line. You and I have had this talk before I get wide out like Ballard just doesn't believe in that but left tackle a line like that's the one that again he holds in such high regard and for him to have really given it to a guy that had no business getting that job Matt Pryor literally laughed when the Colts told him that he would be their left tackle um, if that move doesn't happen if you would have had a little bit more maybe training camp competition in the off season. Uh, we might not be having this conversation right now in terms of all those guys not no longer having their jobs.
1: Who knows if Alec Pierce catches a touchdown pass in the first half of that game in Houston, maybe we're not talking about. It. there. I mentioned this yesterday. There are so many different moments in this season where things could have gone maybe a different direction, and maybe we're not talking about any of this right now.
2: Yeah, certainly. I mean, you got that. Um I, we had Mike Chapel on earlier with us today. I'm trying to think. Chap brought up a play, another play from, or well, Washington game. Obviously, if Gilmore makes a play, and, and and as much as I hear that out, I mean, if Chris Jones isn't an idiot, you probably lose that game. And if Russell Wilson doesn't look concussed late in the game, um, you probably lose that one. So, as much as you certainly have had games that you've lost or tied that you had opportunities to win, I think right now a 3-5-1 record is probably a pretty accurate assumption or evaluation of this football team.
1: Hey, Kev, is Matt Ryan healthy to return?
2: Doesn't appear that way. Did not practice today. He said that he's getting there with that right shoulder. Um, I think the owner is talking out of both sides of his mouth and his comments a few weeks ago about Sam Ellinger and now his comments in that, oh yeah, we're open to all three quarterbacks. And well, and know, clearly was- he
1: got he got pissy. He was like Ballard. Ballard was pissy on Monday night, and he, he clearly last night lobbing phone calls to Mike and to to Bob that uh, Jim wanted to get his message out there because he didn't like the way that the message was being put together by uh, you know those verbally, those in print, or whatever. And I would agree, but I would ask the question what you think would they have a better chance of winning with Foles under center than they would ellinger on sunday
2: you know, probably in the short term yeah i mean unless this offensive line takes some drastic dump though I, I i mean Foles is probably more of a statue than ryan did honestly. you say
1: dump or jump right there i want to make sure that i'm following you <laughs> along here dump a drastic yeah. dump or jump Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, the dumps
2: have been every Sunday, but yeah, yeah jump. The dump was happening when Earth called Saturday <laughs> from the press box on
1: Sunday. That is the absolute um, best, by the way. Too. That is the
2: oh, best. I would pay a lot of money to see video. Yeah, well, he's he's.
1: Off. I yeah. I'm from what you hear, there's a lot of activity going on in there that uh, a lot of people never hear. So that's that's uh, pretty good. I'd like to be a part of it, yeah. though. I can't lie.
2: Sure. Yeah, they should auction off a ticket. Donate that to charity each week. Sit, uh, sit, nurses Owner, owner's box. Uh, you know, to your point, yeah, in the short term, it is full, but. And Ellinger certainly had problems on Sunday on his own that were not protection related when there were some opportunities to make plays in the passing game. Those were not made. Um, but there is the run element behind this offensive line right now that I think you really need. And so far, again, the Granson, Granson's drop contributed to the interception. He has done a nice job outside of the fumble. Uh, against Washington of protecting the football, but I, I felt like Sunday we saw just a reluctancy to throw with anticipation. Uh, there were a couple balls that you know he threw to Pittman and Pierce like early on. A couple comebacks that um, the New England DB was right there. I think there are moments if you know you throw that ball right as that guy's making his break or even before that, there's an opportunity to complete that pass and you know maybe keep a drive alive and that did not happen, and I do think that's an element that Foles and or Ryan, if healthy, would bring to this offense. But I am of the belief at this point, just keep on playing Ellinger. I don't, I, again, I don't need to see Foles. I don't need to see Ryan again. I know that's my thinking, um, but that's but we'll, we'll, we'll see if they continue to operate uh, with how they have the last couple of weeks.
1: Kevin Bowen joins us. I know Jeff Saturday gave everybody that timeline of the events leading up to his hiring earlier this week. Did you buy a full 100% truth out of how he laid it out?
2: Uh, no, I do not. Um, no. I, I, I mean, Jim Irsay is a very emotional human, and I think there's a lot of actions you can point to over the years, certainly over the last few weeks, that there's been some emotion behind it. But I, I believe that this has developed over – uh, at least over 48 hours or 72, however they described it. Um, I mean, he's calling the man during the middle of the football game. <laughs> like, you know, I can't imagine Jim Irsay dialing up too many people during the middle of a football game. Clearly, they have had some conversation, and I think Dan Orlovsky mentioned this yesterday when he hopped on the Dan Patrick show about you know him and Jeff have had conversations before about you know, coaching and, and, you know, assembling staffs. And, you know, I think Dan Patrick asked Orlovsky pretty directly of, you know, have you been contacted to be the Colts quarterback's coach? And Orlovsky said not directly. So, you know, there's obviously some vagueness in that answer. Um yeah, I think there was definitely – I mean, Frank Reich would still be here if Jeff Saturday said no. I mean, that's just kind of a wild part of all of this. This has a lot less to do with Jim Ursay wanting to be done with Frank Reich at any cost and just promote whoever, and more to do with – which, again, is not how a lot of these – not how a lot of these firings work. I mean, Carolina clearly is not doing that right now with their interim situation, um, but that's how Ursay wants to view these final eight games.
1: So, Kevin Bowen, the morning show on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. I think Jeff Saturday also mentioned today that, you know, this is a a proving ground, if not a training ground, for him in these games the rest of the season as the interim head coach. My belief is that he's got a spot within this organization someplace. He maintained earlier today that he did not. What do you think?
2: Yeah, I think he does. I, I would agree with you. Um, I think he's got more of Jim Ursay's ear right now than Chris Ballard does. And I know that that's not typically how the hierarchy works when you're talking about a head coach and a GM, but I do feel like that's the case with how um, how Ursay views this currently. Um, so, yeah, whether it's a head coach, whether it's, you know, president, whether it's the GM – If Jeff Saturday wants to be a part of this organization next year, I believe he will be.
1: Take the keys out of the ignition there, brother. Yeah, sorry about that. that. (laughs) Uh, The other thing I was curious about regarding Jim Irsay – is I, I said this yesterday and it's a promo that's running right now and while I and many others embrace the past and especially the the Manning years, the Manning era that brought a Super Bowl, Super Bowl forty one here, clearly Jim Ursay does as well. And I thought this, that if you're truly if you're Jim Ursay and you want want to embrace the past, once you decide on who's going to lead your football organization moving forward here it's time to stop being Jerry Jones and be more like Jim Irsay was, you know, as an owner back during that era. You agree?
2: Yeah, I I would. And I think you got to, you know, I think we can lay out, John, like, you know, again, was there merit to fire Frank Reich? Certainly. Um, But I think, you know, how he's gone about that and – I would say a little bit of how the rest of the league kind of views this. Like if Jeff Saturday decides at the end of these eight months or the eight games that he doesn't want to be a part of whatever, this operation or, you know, he wants to spend more time with his family. Like I'm super curious how coaching candidates, GM candidates will react to um, what the Colts have going on. And sure, there's an element of there's 32 of these. And of course people are going to be desperate and people are going to take that job, but if you're viewing them and comparing them to other openings around the league, uh, again, you might be extremely hesitant to want to come here based off how the last few months have unfolded here.
1: And I and just I think, think it works out better. I just think that works out better. I didn't, and listen, I don't mind him being you know, a voice as far as an owner with league stuff, as he has been, if that's the direction he wants to go. But football-wise, it just seems like, Kev, everything is always better, calm, and cert- certainly not the circusy thing we have seen here recently when he lets you know others do their thing. So,
2: yeah, I, I I think it's a really slippery, slippery slope, and you would know better than I, but it does seem like it's an element of what his father did at times, maybe not as drastic and demonstrative, and does seem like it is creeping territory with these sorts of moves. Um, You know, I, I think in year five of Reich and year six of Ballard, there needed to be a very critical evaluation of that and there needed to be changes. And clearly he's gone about that. Um, I think one of the dangerous areas from Monday night is just him living so much in the past and bringing, and I know the quartile quote is, you know, kind of a funny one and all of that, but like he just thinks that because that era happened that all of a sudden he's got this clout league-wide that everybody thinks the culture are the gold standard and that everybody should want to be a part of that. And I think the culture are at this point of their franchise where you've got to re- reprove yourself. Um, and if you look at the last eight years since you last won a division title, I mean, all three of these teams in the division, Houston, Jacksonville, and Tennessee, all three have won a division title since you last did. All three of them have won more playoff games than you have in that span. And we're talking Texans, Jags, and Titans. We're not talking about upper echelon NFL by any means. And so I just thought it was really out of touch to think that, you know, you got to go back to all, all the way to 2000 and think and believe that that is still the environment. And that's how, you know, either your operation is being run right now or how you're viewed around the league. Yeah. Uh, no one on this roster was even close to playing for you in 2009 staff members of course were following the same boat there that's a long long time ago and I get you know, honoring that era and wanting to consult people in that era um, but if you want to go off that I mean the reason we were there Monday night for that press conference was because people in that era needed to hire Frank Reich and at the end of the day that didn't work out so I, I I think that's just a bit of a slippery slope that he's obviously going down with the Saturday move and I think considering his impact with the Saturday decision and the Sam Ellinger decision he wants nothing more than next week next year week one for Sam Ellinger to be his quarterback and Jeff Saturday to be his head coach and I know that might scare a lot of people but that's what he wants he thinks that Hollywood script is something that could indeed happen and we'll see how the next two months play out but boy that is that kind of danger written all over
1: I do agree with that. But on the other hand, what he has done is basically what people have been screaming about. He did do something. And me, sure, you, sure, sure. everybody, everybody was screaming about doing something. And then he did something. And then, you know, we complain about the way that he did it. So, uh, yeah, I mean. I've got less issue
2: with the, well, I, I've got some issue with the action. i am firing Frank Reich over the phone. I think it's ludicrous and some some of those other things but again should Frank Clark have been the head coach here in 2023 no um i think i have more of the comments from monday night of continually to live in that past and thinking that that is still alive and believing that just simply tapping into that era is going to reinvigorate everything that's a little i, I don't know that that just seems like He feels like by doing that and getting one step or as close as he's going to get to Peyton Manning, that that's going to cure all, and that's just dangerous.
1: Well, if they perform well, you'll be singing a different tune this time next Wednesday, so we'll see. It may be closer closer to the chaotic cluster, you know what? But at the very least, people are going to be tuned in now that after last Sunday probably vowed to not tune into another Colts game this season. So they got that going for them at the very least. We'll see.
2: Yeah. And obviously, the Raiders have had their own issues. Granted, they've had some leads in games this year. And I think they've got a far, definitely a more talented roster. But
1: um, yeah, we'll see how it plays out. All right, buddy. Get in there and get him tomorrow morning at 7. And uh, make sure you check out my Twitter account later on tonight after 33 is on the floor. It ought to be entertaining. <laughs> I can't wait. Yeah, boy. It's certainly been one to keep an eye on here yeah, the last couple is, nights. So. It is. Appreciate you. Yep, see you, John. It's a bowing on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. Vic Taffer, the athletic, covers the Raiders with us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. How are things going in Vegas with this two-win team right now, Vic?
3: Uh, they're going fabulous. Just uh, everyone's uh, loving life. But uh, <laughs> yeah. no, just kind of a, you know, a lot of confusion. They obviously thought they'd be better than this. They uh supposed to have, you know, top top offense and they got set out last week in the second half of the Jags after getting set out in the whole game by the Saints. So obviously a lot of question marks. All
1: right, so what do you think it starts because this is a team that's also put itself in position. Because I think they've blown, what, five leads of 17 or more points this season. So there have been some moments where they put points on the board. But overall, what's been the issue with the offense in your estimation?
3: Yes, yeah, in three games, they were up 17 and they lost. So definitely they had some chances to win some more games. I think it's just uh, – they'll tell you it's just a matter of time of getting in sync with the new the new system. Josh McDaniels is, you know, Patriots-style offense and just getting guys kind of in the right place and, and at the right time. I think you saw last week. Uh, Devontae Adams had nine catches in the first half and one for zero yards in the second half. So just not always been on the same page. They've had some injuries. Uh, Baron Waller is still out. Hunter Renfro missed a couple of games. So uh, those are the excuses. So um, we'll see what happens uh, the rest of the way. What's the level of frustration with this group
1: right now, Vic?
3: Yeah, it's pretty high. I mean, they just got back. They had a two-week trip. They played in New Orleans. They stayed in Sarasota for the week of practice there. They played in Jacksonville. They thought they'd kind of, you know, Hashed everything out and, you know, team bonding and held hands with a campfire. thought they were all squared away, but clearly they're not. So I think now there's definitely some question marks that and they're still confident, but not as much as they were said last week because they thought they were kind of past this, uh, this phase.
1: How much is their first-year head coach, Josh McDaniels, who has a bit, a slight bit of history here, how much has he been in the crosshairs as far as this two-win season and this disappointing offensive flow that we have seen with this team is concerned?
3: Yeah, more and more every week, the fans definitely are getting frustrated. I think Mark Davis is frustrated. They, you know, they made the playoffs last year, so they they the new staff. They thought was they'd be able to take another step up. They brought in Adams and Chandler Jones. They weren't by any means doing a, a rebuild with a new regime. So they thought they'd be back in the playoff race this year. They're clearly not. So definitely some frustration and people wondering uh, you know what's going on.
1: Jonathan Abram. What happened – that's a former first-round pick. I, I don't know the background story. I don't know the level of production that he had or didn't have. But what was the background story if there is one there?
3: Just a bad pick. I mean, they've made the, – the last regime was Gruden, John Gruden, and Mike Mayak. They really it did not do very well. They had a lot of first-round picks, and they really did not do well with them. Abram was a guy who was, you know, big-time, a hard-hitting guy, you know, a safety kind of undersized in college – didn't really translate well to the NFL. He had some coverage issues, and even with a new regime, he couldn't really uh, get his footing. He started the first six games, and didn't play much the last two weeks, so I think the timing is weird because, you know, are supposed to be all in it together. I'm not sure what it does to, to cut your backup safety at this point, but clearly uh, they wanted to move on, and he got claimed by the Packers, so so he'll
1: get a new start. Vic Taffer writes for the Athletic, covers the Raiders. He's with us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. I mean, there's no doubt, production-wise, name recognition-wise, defensively. Max Crosby and a guy they went out and got in the offseason. Chandler Jones, they bring the thunder. Production-wise, how have those two been on the defensive side of the football for the Raiders this year?
3: Well, Crosby's been great. Crosby's definitely still a great pass rushing guy who's gotten better in run defense. Definitely, I think, one of the top players in the league. I think um, they're hoping that those two guys will kind of recreate what they had last year with um, Crosby and and Gakwe, who you guys now have. And They were definitely a great tandem for the Raiders last year. They thought Jones, knowing the Patriot system, knowing these guys pretty well, will be able to come in and kind of take it up a notch because he's better against the run. But it's kind of gone the other direction. Maybe uh, he's a little over the hill, but just uh, he hasn't looked very good um, in terms of the pass rush. So, they're they're last in the league with nine sacks. So, that tells you all they got to know right there.
1: You had mentioned, because we had this conversation back in March when the trade was made, Rakasin, he goes to the Raiders. Yannick Ngakwe uh, comes this way, and Yannick Ngakwe, uh, little to no production for the Colts, at least yeah, expectation-wise, it hasn't been what people like me certainly thought, but how has Rocky seen been in that defensive backfield for the Raiders this season?
3: He's been solid. I wouldn't say he's done anything great or, or bad. He's been a solid guy who I mean they were hoping he might be that number one kind of cornerback to take a next step, but he hasn't done that really, but uh, he's not been the issue. They've had other problems in defense, so I think he's been a reliable and a guy who uh, for the most part can and handle himself pretty well. One on one with most guys in the league.
1: How was the, um, when they hired Josh McDaniels, especially, and you mentioned this, a team that did go to the postseason a year ago, but how was that hiring taken by the fan base in Vegas when it was made?
3: I've uh, definitely a mixed reaction. I think people definitely love the job that Rich Masashi did last year. They kind of rallied. They had a bunch of you know on-field and off-field issues last year, and they kind of rallied them together, and they made the playoffs. But I think some of the fans, and clearly Mark Davis, the owner, felt that it may have been a little flukish. Maybe it wasn't a thing that could he could do again, as far as you know his his coaching prowess and being the number one guy. So I think uh, Mark Davis decided to go the other way. We'll bring in this Patriots regime and kind of take it to the next level and clearly it hasn't has been the case quite yet
1: he and Derek Carr seem to be on the same page throughout this or there have, have there been uh I guess rocky waves that they've tried to get through going through the season so far
3: yeah I mean, they say they are they, they say the right things but clearly Derek Carr's not the guy he was last year stats are down his look as good so clearly he's not comfortable in the new system and not clearly in sync quite yet so uh you would think they will get better with time, but uh, so far, there's there's enough talent in his offense. that should be scoring points a lot more easily than they have been. So, uh, definitely, you uh, got to look at you know the whole Derek Carr and McDaniel's thing as being a reason why it's not happening.
1: It seems like Devonte Adams is angry after every game, uh, either legitimately or I guess like thereof, because that's what happens when you have a disappointing two win season so far. And a lot of people put the expectations on. How has that fit been? in vegas with the wide receiver so far
3: uh it's been interesting he definitely uh he, you clearly see why he's like arguably the, the top guy in the league he's, he's so good as far as getting open and he can beat all kinds of coverages one-on-one double teams you know these over the tops. So he just has all the all the skills in his back to get open whatever he wants it seems like so he's frustrated because he came here obviously to for a reason and two and six was not the reason he left behind Pretty good, you know, dynamic with Aaron Rodgers, and Aaron's also struggling. So it's kind of a – I can see both those guys being frustrated probably at what's happened since they they separated.
1: All right. Well, around here, frustration has been often, and then it's never a good thing, right, Vic? Whenever you have a team that's certainly more interesting with what's going on off the field than what has gone on on the field. And you saw that come to a head earlier this week. Frank Reich was fired on Monday, and then two hours later, we learned that Jeff Saturday, fresh out of ESPN, the former Colt Center in the Ring of Honor here, is going to be the interim head coach. I'm curious. I don't know how much people may care about that, how much the team may care about that because ultimately it is the players on the field and we've seen especially offensively with this team these struggles it had on Sunday in Foxborough. What's been the buzz surrounding what's been going on around the Colts given the fact the Colts are going to be in Vegas coming up on Sunday?
3: I think people are pretty shocked even out here about what's happened. I think it's kind of a kind of mind boggling to hire a guy from the TV studio. who has not been with the team all year. I guess it's been there when training camp he was there but still it seems like a huge A huge leap. And a lot of the people here like Gus Bradley a lot. He was coordinator last year. They wonder how that will work as far as the coaching staff in place kind of have the answer to a guy who was on TV last week. So I think it's fascinating. I think um, the Raiders should win this game, but knowing them, you never know. But uh, it seems like they would put a huge edge as far as that player goes, it's
1: a Vic Tafer, the athletic, writes for the Raiders with this via the Andy Moore automotive crew potline. What's funny about it is probably the, the storyline would have been prior to this week. I would imagine, you know, the whole Josh McDaniels 11th hour decision to go back to Foxborough and not come here as the hired next Colts head coach years ago. But that kind of gets placed on the back burner, I, I'm assuming, right? <laughs> What's been going on around here going into Vegas on Sunday?
3: Oh, for sure. Like, the big storylines are going to be uh, Josh coming there and playing against the Colts until he left him, like you said, last second. And also the Gus Bradley revenge game, the Ngakwe revenge game. There were storylines that were huge. And now they're all definitely pushed, you know, in, in the background because uh, Jeff Saraday is definitely the story.
1: Now, curious, before I let you go, is there a path of disappointment that could make it a one-and-done for Josh McDaniels in Vegas?
3: You know, fans, like you mentioned, fans being unhappy. That's a very popular question. They want to know what's going to take you to rid of them. People are that unhappy. Um, I can't imagine. I mean, you know, you got a four-year deal. It's a brand-new regime. But I'm sure there's a number that uh, Mark Davis wouldn't be able to accept. And I'm sure a loss to Jeff Saturday would definitely be uh, a contributor <laughs> to that. So, um, yeah, I, I, you know, I can't imagine. But if they only win, say, you know, four or five games this year, that would definitely be uh, – a major catastrophe and losing on this weekend in Mark Davis's eyes would also be a catastrophe.
1: I would imagine it would be, and listen, the Colts lost to the commanders here, but Carson Wentz was not under center. He was injured. I would assume it would be akin to Carson Wentz coming in here and, and beating the Colts. What, Jeff Saturday, last week being on TV and then sliding into Vegas and being the interim head coach and and beating the Raiders in Vegas probably would lead to a little bit more discontent throughout the city and certainly with Mark Davis in mind?
3: Yeah, I think they've had you know, a series of, of lows and lowers this year, like you know, getting shot by the Saints. It's hard to do to get shot, get yeah. shot out by the Saints. And then you lose, you, know, you blow away to the Jaguars and aren't that good. So I just think every week has kind of gone down, down. And definitely losing to Jeff Saturday and, and Parks Fraser, I think, I think that's his name, will definitely be another, <laughs> another, step, another step down the ladder, I think, for Mark Davis.
1: You. You say, I think that's his name. That's great. That is great. Hey, I don't know. So, uh, if you – all right, and I know that, that you love your gig, but if you were going to be covering a team right now, just for the sake of what's going on, and we're talking about a three-win team and a two-win team, which uh, situation would be more interesting for you, the Colts or the Raiders when you're in?
3: That's a good question. Um well, that's a good question. I'm sorry. I think I know you guys stick with the, the the animal you know, so I guess I'll stick with the Raiders because they've always been interesting, even when they've, they've lost games. So uh, it's always fascinating. But you guys are definitely making a run for the money. i say so. The Colts definitely are now They're, they're, in, the, they're in the circus We're along with the Raiders. So we'll see what happens this weekend.
1: That's no doubt about that. Vic Taffer of The Athletic covers the Raiders on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. The circus, I want to say the circus is in town, but, I mean, the circus is in town like every minute of the day out there. So this is not like it's going to be anything different here, right? So the circus is in town all the time out there.
3: Yeah, it's got new and bigger acts, like more, you know, more more explosions, <laughs> more uh, more more clowns, more, more monkeys on bikes, all that stuff. So it, it should be fun.
1: All right, man, I appreciate you. Enjoy the game coming up on Sunday, and we'll see what happens, Vic. Thanks for dropping in here today. All right, take care. It's a Vic Tafer of The Athletic on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. He is a part of the Valley Sports Indiana Pacers crew. Pre, post, halftime, in-game, all the knowledge, the great suits, the incredible attire. Jeremiah Johnson is with us. What's up, buddy?
0: Did the fish and more include mozzarella sticks? I always ask for extra hush puppies, but I wasn't sure – mozzarella sticks were part of the more
1: you know i love hush puppies i do unfortunately long john silvers is one of those places which i would love but you can only go there occasionally you know what i mean you can't you, you can go there you can overwork that a little bit i think can't you occasionally
0: when you're still uh, a growing boy so i don't know that i've been there since i was in my 20s um enjoyed it as a kid and i think the fishing more was about 2.99 when i would go and i'm sure it's more like 8.99 right now but i was I enjoyed that blast from the past as you brought up a little Long
1: John Silver. Let me tell you this, JJ. If Long John Silvers would be smart enough to bring back not at all their locations, but some of them, the like peer looking dock looking setup when you used to walk into that thing, if oh, you brought yeah, that, that back, awesome. if you brought that back, I think that that would probably give you an uptick in those going into your establishment. I would because here's the one thing that I know, and this is everybody Everybody embraces the past. I embrace the past. I don't know about Kyle. He may not. I know you embrace the past. Jim Irsay clearly embraces the past. We all (laughs) embrace the past, right? Pacers fans embrace the past. So why not Lawn John Silver's go back to when everybody truly loved it? You know, get those old varnish looking inside an old boat benches and tables on the inside. A little wear and tear on them a little bit. Put the vinegar drip on all the tables. Yeah, bring that back and just maybe, just maybe, you'd get an up uptick in sales at Long John Silver's.
0: Absolutely. I mean, Rick Carlisle is the Pacers coach. I mean, that's a blast from the past. Yes, we're enjoying that. People and, loves it. You know, you put a rack right next to the Long John Silver's. I think we'd all enjoy that as oh, well.
1: If you put a racks there, that'd be. If you put a rack next to Long John Silver's around here, nobody's going to walk into Long John Silver's. That'd be the problem. <laughs> <laughs> big big time problem right there hey um what do what you make of this five and five team i know they get denver coming up later on tonight that is going to be an interesting test to say the least but we've all been conditioned i think through the first 10 jayday to say that this team is fun to watch all right let's get beyond how it's been fun to watch what has been your impression that may have surprised you through the first 10 games of the season
0: you know, I was thinking about this yesterday before my podcast with Pat Boylan, and the one thing that's not a statistic or even an individual player performance that stands out to me that's a little different this season than really any season I can recall is that when the other team makes a run, really quickly the Pacers put a stop to that run and, and kind of stay in the game, and they don't hang their heads. There's no one on this team that really gets down. I mean, they, some of them get kind of fiery in the huddle, and there are some vocal conversations when, you know, a timeout is, is called by Rick Carlisle and the Pacers have to make some adjustments, but it seems like more often than not, when the other team goes on a 7-0 run or maybe nine to two, timeouts called, order is restored, and then the Pacers answer with a run of their own. And I think part of that is just the youthful energy and enthusiasm. They all have a lot of confidence, even if maybe the opponents don't take them as seriously as they should, and then the way they play. They can get back in the games pretty quickly because of the fast-paced style and and what Tyrese Halliburton and and some of those young guards are able to do. They can make plays defensively. They still have some things to work on on that end of the floor, but I've just not seen these dreadful quarters that we we, we saw so much in the past. And It's it's a 7-0 run or a 9-2 run, and then you get back into the game, and you're never out of it. I mean, even down 24 in Brooklyn, after you beat the Nets, you got back into the game and had three shots in the fourth quarter that would have taken the lead and, and perhaps gotten you the win.
1: Uh, JJ's with us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group Potline To your point, I think it was in the fourth quarter the other night in that win where um, you saw Heald and Halliburton kind of after a turnover, I think it was. I couldn't remember if it was Heald that through the pass that Halliburton didn't get to or vice versa, where they were kind of going at one another about it and then kind of dropped it right after that. So there is certainly a competitive spirit amongst these players, at least from what we've seen in this five-and-five start.
0: Yeah, the care factor is there. That's what you want more than anything. And I've seen uh, a lot of enthusiasm, a lot of interest, and they're not afraid to speak up when the situation calls for it. But those two players specifically, they have a pass together. I mean, Tyrese and Buddy, you know, they came over from from Sacramento, and so they're probably used to – you know, one each other, maybe occasionally making a mistake or making the wrong play and, and setting them straight, and then getting back on track a little bit. So um, that's that's kind of the big picture observation. Other than that, you can look at a lot of statistical categories, and it's probably too early to make too much of it. But but ten games is not the smallest of sample sizes, and the Pacers are near the top of a number of offensive categories that lead to winning basketball. I mean, they're up there in assists. They're are three point attempts and percentages, top ten, top two in a, attempts and top nine in percentage. And that's what Rick Carlisle has been striving for, to get those good looks, to be able to have guys that can knock them down. I mean, in the last four games, to have one game make 22 and one game make 23, you're going to win a lot of games when you make at least 23-pointers in a night.
1: Yeah, No doubt about that, too. It's uh, JJ with us on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. The Nuggets 7-3 and three right now. I'm assuming with uh, Caldwell, Nope, and Murray, Porter Jr., Gordon, the rest here everybody healthy going into this game tonight or do you know
0: yeah as far as i understand they're as healthy as really they've ever been and that's been the one thing with the denver nuggets that has kept them from making sustained playoff runs is they just can't stay healthy and even last year michael porter jr i think only played nine games and and jamal murray didn't play at all and so those two guys along with Jokic, to me make them one of the top two or three threats to come out of the western conference so i'm, I'm really excited about this matchup the pacers I've had two games on the homestand against teams that you would go into the season and say, that's a team that's um, built for success right now. Miami was the number one seed last year, New Orleans with Zion is a team that can challenge for, I think a top four seed out West. And you won both of those games. And, You get another opportunity tonight, and the two-time reigning MVPs in town, so there's a lot to look forward to in this matchup.
1: Well, and I know he's not athletic, but Porter Jr. and Gordon are, and Murray's uh, a dead-eye shooter. I'm not the biggest fan. I mentioned Caldwell Nope. I'm not the biggest fan of his, but across the board, this is a a talented, uh, high-volume type of scoring team, especially on a night when they're on.
0: Yeah, I look forward to seeing some of the adjustments, what the Pacers try to do. Um, we don't know for sure about Aaron Neesmith, but he was trending in the right direction, and I think as Rick Carlisle said yesterday, there's a chance he could play, so you would you would definitely welcome any of your wing defenders to be able to help with the athleticism and talent that the Nuggets have, but one of the things that I'm interested to watch is some of these elite teams coming into Indianapolis and to take on um, the Pacers squad that didn't have a lot of expectations coming into the year. If you take the pacers for granted at all you'll you'll walk out of here with the loss and i'm not saying the pelicans took the pacers for granted but you know they were coming off an overtime game i believe against atlanta and you know maybe it's just you think okay you're going to get a win if you do that against the pacers they'll make you pay and so we'll see if the nuggets bring the the proper mindset or if if we've got a you know really good game and an opportunity for the Pacers to win their fourth straight at home.
1: Uh, JJ, a handful of these so-called tanking teams actually have played well. I mean, even under five hundred, I think San Antonio's played better than what people had expected. I think the Pacers are right there. And make no mistake, at 9-3 and three out west, who would have thought Utah in their first 12 games would look like this?
0: Yeah, it's a very watchable product right now, I think, across the NBA. I'm a little – disappointed that nationally and even on some of the NBA platforms like you know NBA radio or some of the the programming that they're they're forced to spend so much time talking about some of the drama but if you just sit down and watch some of these games and maybe even as you mentioned some of the teams that you didn't have the high expectations for they're bringing it every single night and you've got to give credit to teams like the Jazz you mentioned San Antonio I mean they win one at Philadelphia and There's a lot of parity as well. I looked at the standings. It's too early to really make anything in the standings. But look at how many teams right now 10 games in are either between four and six or six and four. and The Pacers are right there at five and five. And so I do think it's a really good start for the league. And uh, you just want guys to stay healthy and to be able to see if some of the young players, specifically on the Pacers, if they can have some sustained success.
1: Um, listen, I think we've all seen Matherin and now you, you expect nightly something from Matherin. One of the questions I had regarding the rookie class and as much as I watched him and I loved watching him play and I watched basically all of his games while he was at Gonzaga was Andrew Nemhard, And I thought that. He would take a little bit of time, certainly more time than this, being able to translate his game to the uh, faster pace. And I know Gonzaga played at a quick pace, but just some games collegiately, and for example, against Baylor in the national title game a couple of years ago, he kind of got overwhelmed. That has not at all been the case through the first 10 games for Nimhart, the rookie out of Gonzaga. Not at all. Yeah,
0: I mean, he's not the first person you'll mention when you talk about the first 10 games, but he deserves to be in the first paragraph because I watched him in training camp, and, you know, I was thinking he's the third point guard. As long as T.J. McConnell is here, he's probably going to get the backup point guard minutes, and I didn't have the expectation that early in the season we would see a lot from Andrew Nembord. I kind of thought, like you maybe, he'd learn from Halliburton. He'd learn from McConnell, and probably eventually he might be the second point guard. But the biggest thing that we've seen is He can be on the court with Halliburton. He can be on the court with McConnell or by himself as the point guard. And so that allows him to play more. And then the one thing that really I don't think you have any idea how a college player is going to translate defensively, but you've got to put him right now as one of your best backcourt defenders on your team right now. And that was evident by Rick Carlisle having him guard Tyler Hero in the final minutes of the game where Tyler Hero was almost – only outside threat that they had besides maybe Struess. so um it's it's a great start to a rookie season it's looking like a phenomenal draft selection at number 31 in the first pick of the second round and in just getting to know him briefly now over the first month of the season i really like his attitude And you can tell why he's able to succeed because he doesn't have any fear He's got a little bit of cockiness, not too much, and he definitely respects his elders and those that have you know, been there in the NBA, but he has a lot of confidence in himself. And I think playing some of those big games in Gonzaga really did help him just embrace the moment and the stage to where nothing is too big for him, and that says a lot for a guy that was drafted in the second round and is just a rookie.
1: All right, what time you guys hit the airwaves tonight? 6.30, is that accurate? Yeah, back to mostly normal 6.30 Pacers live pregame,
0: 7 o'clock tip. There were some staggered starts on Monday as 15 games on the schedule and and staggering to try to get the message out for everyone to vote on Tuesday. So we were a little unusual on Monday, but back to normal 6.30 with Eddie in the loft and then game coverage just after 7 o'clock.
1: Hey, tell 33 33 to keep getting it done for me, all right? Let's string a couple (laughs) together here, 33. Tell him that.
0: That is the goal, string a couple together. I, mean, I don't think anyone is expecting 37 again, but just to be productive and active on both ends, I think it is important that he's fully healthy right now, and yep. we're going to have a sustained period of time where he can be that center on the floor that he's he's been wanting, you know, for a number of years, and hard to have a better performance on both ends than he had on Monday night.
1: No doubt about that. String a couple together. You watch my Twitter after a Miles okay. game. You enjoy looking uh, at that.
0: I, I enjoy different times. I mean, I can't say I search your your mentions on a, a night after that, but maybe I should. You should. But after a good game, is what is it like?
1: Um, I tell everybody to blank off. <laughs> <laughs> so do you ever tag him? Nah, nah, I'm not going to bring him into that. So, okay, yeah, I'm not going to do that. So this is just it it's it, it really has developed into a great deal of fun for me. So yeah, I'm not going to do that. So I'm just kind of I'm I'm jacking around a little bit, but uh I have fun with it. Either way I have fun with it. But I'd rather see the positive of it so I can do more of the blank off stuff than you know, like tonight if he goes 7 and 5, what that's going to look like. So
0: Well, yeah. Don't expect 37. I mean, that's a little unrealistic, and I don't think scoring... That's not even what Rick Carlisle wants. I mean, he's been pretty clear in that the scoring aspect is not what Miles is, you know, on the floor for. It's a part of it, and he can stretch the floor. And as you saw the other night, his ability to hit threes just opens things up for everyone else. But continue to provide rim protection, uh, run the floor, be vocal on defense. That's that's what he's going to continue to make his money in the NBA doing and then occasionally have a big night like we saw on Monday. And those are the nights that JMV really loves.
1: High high screen and roll with Halliburton, if they keep that up, that that to me redirects his game. It does because now he's in there with an elite level willing passer. And that's not how it's been
0: in the past year. I'm not sure that he's been told to roll to the basket very much. And Rick Carlisle even mentioned after practice yesterday When asked about Miles Turner, he said, we told him to roll to the basket. And so I think it's been a little bit of a learning curve for Miles. But the other thing that I'll mention is late in that game, the Pelicans went small, and they were, you know, C.J. McCollum and other guards, they were saying, you know, do something with this. And early in the Miami game, Kyle Lowry was matched up against Miles. And, you know, there have been times that that's the best strategy against the Pacers. Well, it wasn't good strategy on Monday. And so that, that, to me, was a big step forward in the fact that, Time and time again, with a smaller player on him, Tyrese Halliburton and other guards were, were throwing in the ball, and he was either getting fouled or, you know, for the most part, finishing, or occasionally he'd get it and then kick it right back out. So we'll see if the, the teams still implement that strategy. But if they don't, that's that's a big benefit to the Pacers.
1: Hey, tell Denari I'll be waiting on his midnight call tonight like he called Monday night after the game at midnight. I'll be waiting.
0: I'll be up. You? Let me guess, he was the one to talk about a press conference that was going on
1: the same time the Yeah, well, yeah, there, I don't think there was a great deal of happiness there about uh, the timing of all that, but uh, whatever. That's true. It's yeah. all done right now. All right, we'll be watching tonight, buddy. I appreciate you.
0: Well, I know you've had a lot to talk about, so I'm glad you fit a little Pacers in during this uh, crazy
1: week. Always, man, always. <laughs> so, Jeremiah right. Johnson, Valley Sports, Indiana, later on tonight, 6.30, the pregame show begins. JJ, thank you
0: very much.